You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. On um, Tuesday night, a number of us were out doing a, a pub quiz, and I've got to say, pub quizzes are not my forte. But I got a question right, and I'm incredibly proud about it. I phoned my mum, and I was like, I got one. You'll be proud. And um, the team I was on, there was a lot of teams, so I'm even more proud to say the team I was on came second. And overall, emphasis on the overall, overall, I didn't cheat. And um, I, I did try and gain a slight advantage at a number of points, but people on other teams were aware of my behavior. And... Um, Therefore, they were alert to it, and I didn't manage it. But um, I'd consider it a, a good night. I think the thing that I loved the most was seeing a number of you come alive in creating environments for other people to explore Jesus and seeing the impact and the effect that that had. I had a number of conversations with some of you afterwards and during the week, and I've heard it from other people too, that some of the people that you brought along loved it and they thought we were normal. That was the thing that surprised me. He's like, we are actually normal, sort of. But, you know, there was various people there, different ages and stages and walks of life. But the Spirit of God among us, as a people, creates environments that are incredibly powerful and others are drawn to and touched by. And if, if you're joining us this morning for the first time or you feel on the edge, I, j- I just want to say you're welcome. We are delighted that you're here. We're a group of people that are seeking to grow in our love for Jesus and give everything we've got in the expression of that and the way that we live that out. And today is is the final week before next week. Uh, you, you could say that every week, actually. Every week is the final week before next week. But what, what I mean by that is next week, we're, we're holding this giving day, as, as Pascal mentioned. And um, I think it's going to be something quite special. As, as we come before the Lord and offer what he's laid on our hearts to give. And during worship, we'll have a large basket at the front and people will bring their gifts and pledges. And in, in many ways, that's actually quite symbolic. I'd encourage you to give the upfront gift that you might give online. Um, it'd be a lot easier than having a load of cash here on the day. Um, but and then ongoing pledges but as we step out in faith together i think that's incredibly symbolic i love it the kids are going to join us for for doing that as well and some of the stories that i've heard among some of them already is really quite amazing some of them selling their toys that they might raise more money to be able to give and one of them had um i was hearing one of them had an idea of the amount that they wanted to give and you know where you're like, that is, that is actually quite a stretch. It wasn't like crazy, but it was like, I, you're not going to come up with that just out of your pocket money. So you're going to have to lean on grandparents and that. And I was hearing some of the stories of how they've, you like, walking grandparents to the bank and that, and like, oh, gosh. And, uh, but anyway, somebody, somebody among us said to one of those children, I'll match what you give. And I thought, that's amazing. And I don't think the child fully knew what that meant, but they said in the moment, I'm giving 55,000. <laughs> so, oh, you may regret that, or that may not happen. But I love, I love how it's captured them, you know, and they're, they're in their own way, in their own age-appropriate way, having similar bread and fish moments. Of, I'm, I'm just holding out what the Lord is doing among me, and I'm just going to see what he does. And um, on, on the vision talk, if, if you haven't watched it, I'd highly recommend 
you do, um, the, the brochure just gives a snapshot of some of what we believe the Lord is calling us to. But on, on the day before I gave that talk, part of my Bible reading that I'm currently, where I'm up to in reading through the Bible in a year, I was reading Exodus 33. And um, it, it says this, come all, of you, come all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded. And we're, we're going to step out in faith and construct all that we believe the Lord is asking us to do. And it goes on, it says, Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. Then Moses, they went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job that the Lord has commanded us to do. And it goes on and again says their contributions were more than enough more than enough to complete the whole project. My spirit settled when I read that and the, the timing of reading that as we step out in faith and my, my prayer is, Lord, do it again. Lord, would you do it again as we give all that he asks us to give? Would this be more than enough for all that we believe he's calling us to do? And like with the passage of the feeding of the 5,000 and the multiplication of the, the, the few loaves and the few fish, that were brought, would there be 12 baskets of leftover? Would there be more than enough, not just for what we're doing, but for what God would multiply beyond us or our vision or what we think we can see in the natural? Would he take it to the supernatural? And this, this little series that we're doing around this, I've called Courageous Faith because we're in a season of stepping out in courageous faith, asking, seeking, knocking, longing that the Lord might open a door and daring to believe that it will continue to open doors and opportunities for us to serve the people of this city. And I know in many ways I'm repeating myself slightly in saying this, but this really is about equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. We'll all be in very different financial situations, but to achieve this, this will involve equal sacrifice, more than a building, more than financially. I believe this really is a heart moment for us. The Lord is inviting us into something individually and collectively deeper with him. This morning I just want to reflect on a couple of passages in, in Mark and the first one is uh, going to be in Mark chapter 12. But before I do, can I just offer a slight disclaimer? Over the last few weeks I've, we've built on a theme around courageous faith and looking at this building and uh, we're stepping out in faith to do this. This, this. this is a huge step of faith. And um, there's, there's a few things about a, a step of faith. Firstly, is what a privilege it is that the Lord would trust us with this in the first place. Secondly, what a wonderful thing it is to be outside of our comfort zone, outside of the natural realm where we can just achieve it ourselves. But this will be something that all glory to God, regardless, all glory to God. This is more than anything we could do on our own, and so we won't take any of the glory. I hope we never would anyway, but when you really know it's him, it has to go back to him. May that always be the case. But here's, here's the disclaimer. I don't want any of you who are exploring Jesus to be put off by me talking about money. I rarely do it, and I deliberately don't do it often. It's not, the, it's not part of our discipleship, because it is. Actually, it's a huge part. It's a major part. It reflects where our hearts are, and that is a significant part 
of our obedience where our money is often is where our hearts are. That said, I know many of you have felt pressure in other environments, in other contexts prior to coming here. You felt obligation and you felt manipulation in the past. And I just don't ever want that to be the case. And please never hear that from me. That is not what we're doing. I don't want to know what you give at all, ever. It would be helpful to know if you give, we'll ask the finance team, because we'd like to thank you. We'd like to write to you individually and thank you for standing with us in this season. That said, we don't want to know the amount, and I think it's really important you know that. I do believe, though, this is a chapter in our journey, in our walk together, where the, the Lord is asking us to respond in a certain way, and therefore I can't step aside from linking that in in the context of talking about money. I'd encourage you not to miss the opportunity to be part of this, to step into a place of sacrifice where we believe actually sacrifice is often where the fullness of the kingdom is found as we give away generously. So with, with that said, let's just have a quick look at a passage in Mark 12. It says this in, in verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowd dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus said to his disciples, so he called them to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who were making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. There's several, the context of this passage is there's several boxes in, in the temple where money could be placed. Some were for collecting the temple tax and some were for giving a free will offering. And Jesus sat down near those boxes in the, in the temple and he's watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people would have been putting in large amounts of money. Then this poor widow came and she drops in two coins. The widow's offering totaled only two very small copper coins, which in um, was, was actually the, the smallest coin in circulation at that time in Palestine. And Jesus uses that opportunity to teach his disciples an important lesson. He calls them together and he says, I'll tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who were making contributions. They gave us a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. That, that widow gave everything she had everything she had to live on in contrast to the many other people who gave their money and the way many people handle their money. When we consider giving a certain percentage of our income a great accomplishment, we could easily resemble those who just give a tiny part of the surplus. Because here Jesus is admiring generous and sacrificial giving. I think it's healthy for us as part of our discipleship to consider what it is to increase our giving, not just financially, but our time, our talents, whatever that might be and whatever that expression looks like to the point that it goes beyond convenience or calculation. What we're about to do, I'd say do it on top of your regular giving. With, with, with this widow, her gift was by far the, the smallest in terms of monetary value, but it was by far the greatest in terms of sacrifice. The value 
of the gift isn't determined by the amount, but by the spirit in which it's given. A gift given grudgingly or a, a gift given looking for some form of recognition loses its value. When, when you give, remember that gifts of any size are pleasing to the Lord if they're given out of a, a, of a spirit of generosity and gratitude. We may not, in fact I know, we will not be asked to give all that we have. And I don't think Jesus was making that point in this example. But he's calling us to be people that have generous heart attitudes. Like with this widow, not the deceitful attitude of the Pharisees. Jesus notices every act and the way that it's given and the, the, the service that is coming from a sincere heart. Hebrews 13 says, with such sacrifices the Lord is pleased. This, this journey and this, this walk that we're currently living out really is about our hearts. Where are our hearts? My desire and my longing is that our hearts would stir in affection regardless of anything that he might do from next week onwards that individually our hearts would stir in affection for him the widow's gift was proportionally greater and more sacrificial than the gifts that were given by the rich people they're given out of their abundance where she's given her whole livelihood the widow could have kept back one coin she could have held something back for herself. But she similarly, she gave both, which I think is a very similar story to the feeding of the 5,000. The person that gave the picnic gave everything they had. They didn't hold anything back for themselves. This lady gave everything and trusted God, therefore, to then care for her. Jesus wanted the disciples to see this picture this moment he wanted to use it as a lesson in total self-surrender commitment to God and a willingness to trust him and therefore ongoingly trust him for provision I was chatting with a, a couple this week who were in a, another vineyard church and I'm chatting on um, FaceTime and there's banging and crashing in the background to the point that I could barely hear a word they're saying so we ended up talking about what was going on and basically they're having their kitchen replaced and they told me the story of how that came to be. And uh, basically, they had this dream in their hearts. They were longing that they'd replace their kitchen. So they, as you would, they saved the money to do it. Anyway, once they got the amount of money that they needed for the quote that they'd had, they felt God challenged them to give it all away. And um, so they did. Everything that they saved, they gave every penny away. Then a very short time after that, they received an anonymous gift, having told nobody they'd done it for the exact amount that they'd given away. I love God's economy. It is amazing how many times you hear stories like that. Naturally, it makes no sense whatsoever. And um, I love that it was the exact amount. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to say that we give to get. That's not how it works. I don't think it works like that at all. We don't give for a monetary return. We, we give for many reasons, and we probably haven't got time to go into them all. Firstly, I think because it's biblically. Secondly, because I think we get more of God. It changes and shapes our hearts, and he blesses what we do because it reflects his heart of extreme radical generosity. The bit that I love even more that what happened in that story 
is that when they were then given the exact amount that they needed to do with the kitchen, they were placed in a bit of a dilemma. What do they then do with that money? Because reflecting generosity, they were like, but we chose to give it, now what are we going to do? So they then decided to bless somebody with a holiday out of some of that money, and they still had enough to do the work that they planned to do. I think it's amazing how God's economy works. Poor as she is, she gave everything she had to live on. She knew what she'd got, and what she'd got was Jesus. And therefore, she gives it all. In your relationship with Jesus, can I encourage you to give everything? Give him your whole life, not just a, a Sunday thing, not just a segment, not just a part, not just a, a room in the house, not just what is comfortable and what comes easily, but give everything. I'm excited for, for the fruit of this building journey, but not just that. Not just how it will provide and give us opportunities to serve and involve others and will we'll serve some of the practical needs of, of the community. I'm excited because I believe this is a moment in our journey where the Lord wants to do something significant in our hearts, individually and together. And I think there's a beckoning in times like this towards involvement. If you see yourself as a guest, come and be a host. Whatever it is, just move along in terms of, of your involvement. Will you throw yourself in more to the kingdom of God and the fullness of that being expressed? I'm, I'm praying that for you, the benefit will be greater than the cost. The benefit will be greater than the cost for you, for us, for this city and way beyond. Give everything you have to him. So she gave everything, not just the part that she was comfortable with, but everything. If we jump forward just a little bit in Mark and we go to, to Mark 14, it says this. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. In, in the context of courageous faith, I just want to pull a few things out, share a few things from, from this passage. And the first one really is this. I, I hope that this season of courageous faith causes us to break the containment over our lives. I don't, I don't actually know if this is true, but if there's anybody in the room involved in law enforcement or anything like that, just have a little power nap, just slightly zone out. But I've, I've, I've heard it said um, by some people, you know, whoever that might be, roughly my age and build, um, that, that when they drive down the, down the road, there's certain speed bumps. There's one on Thornhill Road in Stockport where you actually do need to slow down. And others, you don't, because you know which ones you do and you know which ones you don't. And then um, some people have also said to me, different people, that 
you, there's certain post boxes, like on Buckingham Road North, I think it is, where um, this person was just telling me this, I'm just listening, that, that you, you don't need to get out of your car to post anything into the post box. You can mount the curb enough that you can just be trickling along and kind of get it in if you catch it right. And um, obviously that is all, you know, I'd share the safe stuff that they told me. I wouldn't tell you some other stuff because it's shocky, but I've asked them to modify their ways and their behavior because I know it is appalling. But there, there are things that you get used to. You know, there's things that you start to work out and you know the, the lie of the land. You get comfortable and you no longer step out. It just becomes routine. It's such a rhythm in your life and it becomes habitual because you've done it so many times. I think in our faith, it's easy to get into that place, that pattern and that rhythm of living. It's easy to create a ceiling on our faith and prevent God doing what he wants to do through you and in others. It becomes a mindset and it becomes a worldview that at times there's these God moments where he wants to break that pattern and he wants to push you and cause you to soar to new levels. I believe we're in that season and I'm seeing it happen in a number of you. While Jesus was eating, this woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar and a, of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and she broke open the jar. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. I, I really want to seize this moment for us to, to break open the jar, to let out the fragrance, to break off the containment that you're currently feeling or facing. Realize who Jesus is. Realize the freedom and the access to which you can come to him and to which you can enter more fully into his presence. This, this woman was probably... Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who lived in Bethany, and an alabaster jar was a, was a beautiful, expensive vase, long, slim neck, and incredibly expensive. And the ointment of nard was, was, a, was a fragrant anointment that was imported from the mountains of India. It was pure, it was genuine, and it was therefore extremely costly. And, and this beautiful jar that is broken and the costly ointment that was inside of it is poured on Jesus' head. And when John records it, he says that the oil was poured on Jesus' feet. Mary probably did both, for Jesus was likely to be reclining at the table or whatever was happening. But it was a common custom at Jewish meals for the honored guests to be anointed with oil, but it wouldn't actually be an expensive nard that was used such an anointing of an expensive oil and pouring it out on the person's head as well as the feet was pictured as a royal messianic anointing. Mary's gift to Jesus, a pint roughly of this expensive nard according to, to John, was about a year's wages. Why on earth would you do that? Because you know whose presence you're in. Because you know whose before you and you can't not give it all like the widow who's just dropping both coins not one coin but both coins into the into the temple of the free will offering it was a give it all i've got to give it all i have there is nothing else than a give it all mindset i want to encourage you to go all in with jesus don't live lukewarm don't live straddling both worlds we're called to be citizens 
heaven. Come into the fullness of that relationship and find what restricts you. Some things even this morning, I think, will come to mind for you. What is it that restricts you? What hurt, what pain, what insecurity, what unhealthy relationship, what bitterness, what arrogance, what pride, what habitual behavior or mindset pulls you away? I want to say get rid of them. Break the containment that is over your life. The second thing I want to draw out is not everybody's going to get it. Not everyone will understand you living fully for Jesus. Not everyone will understand why on earth we'd go for this building. Not everybody would get why some of us will give financially and sacrificially to facilitate it. Not everyone will get or understand why you might give time or energy to this church as we seek to serve this city. Not everybody will get why you would give everything you've got within you to build community among us and then community in the city. I'm currently seeing a stirring among some of you, and this this is just a sense, I couldn't write it down exactly what it is, but I think for some of you, I'm just seeing faith activating. And some of you, faith is activating in sharing your faith and seeking opportunities to do it. Some of you are just desiring a deeper, much quicker and deeper longing to be more like Jesus in how he's asking you to do that. And some of you are seeing dynamic shift in your places of work or what and how your employment looks or what hours you might give to the extension of the kingdom or how you relate to others around you. Now, I've mentioned a number of things but they're just a few things. I think actually there's way more that currently are stirring among you. Some, some of you just over the last month or so would say some of those things. It's like, yeah, that's, that's me. Now, don't worry if that isn't you. That's not a problem at all. It's just for some of you, that is how it is. Now, some people around you will not get that. I think that's because it's a kingdom thing. It doesn't often make earthly sense, a kingdom thing. Not everyone's eyes will see it or understand it that way or the way that you might with you know those guys that give the money away for the for the kitchen that they've been saving try and explain that to people close to you try and explain that to your friends or family that know you've been saving for it why would you do that you want a kitchen but you've given the money away i mean it's it's kind of barking mad in an earthly mindset so, so many times when I see people do something like 4-1, like our version of a discipleship year, giving a day a week to the church and I'm reducing my hours, it's like, tell your parents or tell some family members that. You're like, why would you do that? For some of you, the sacrifices financially you're making for the building or how you give your time, not all of your friends or your family, if you tell them, will get it. Some of you, as you step out and share in your faith, you may feel like you're banging your head against a wall. Sometimes that's just the way it is. Not only at times will people not get it, but actually sometimes people will really let you know that they don't get it. Some of those that were at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. Could have been sold for a year's wage and the money given to the poor, so they scolded her harshly. Where Mark says some at the table were indignant, John actually specifically mentions Judas. Mark probably was referring to all of the disciples. 
This is the, the first of many times in this chapter that I think we see the disciples fail to understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus would be, betray Jesus, the disciples would deny him and then desert him, the disciples would fall asleep three times when they were supposed to be watching, they would completely then desert him and Peter would deny him three times that he even knew him in the first place. Jesus, Jesus' annoyance over this act of worship that Mary has done wasn't based on his concern for the poor. He's trying to make money. I think he's done it out of greed. Jesus was the treasurer of Jesus' ministry and he'd stolen funds previously. He had no doubt, I believe, wanted that perfume to be sold so that the proceeds could go to his career and his cause. This event was probably the thing that then pushed him over the edge in his determination to betray Jesus. The disciples then used slightly religious phrases to hide their true motives. They concluded that the expensive perfume had been wasted, so they rebuke Mary for such an act, because that ointment could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor, so they say. John attributes it, as I said, to, to Judas, but Matthew and Mark take it slightly wider and say that all the disciples were indignant over this wasting. None of them really got it, but all of them seemed to be resenting the gesture as an apparent waste. You know, besides, at this time, the Passover was also a time of special giving to the poor. The sale of the ointment could certainly have been provided as, as a very generous amount and sold for money. The disciples feel this this kind of moral outrage and the, the loss of resources that could have gone to the poor. But Jesus knows. He knows that wasn't in Judas's heart. Judas wasn't interested in helping the poor. He's interested in getting his hands on the money. You know, as I read that, and I, I think for all of us, to be honest, this, this is a time just to look at our hearts. What's, what's in your heart? Where's our hearts at? What do, what do we bring as an offering? in worship to the Lord. Mary's act was courageous and it's sacrificial and Jesus welcomes her and he celebrates her and it's, it's not our place to cast opinion on others. We've got to look at our own hearts. Jesus' approval of this woman's solitary, costly, love-inspired act that breaks natural calculation frees us, I believe, to be radical at any cost and any price, any price. This isn't about having a building or a home for us as a church. It's about creating something, a room that is living in this city where people can come in an area that's so defined by low educational attainment and unemployment and broken relationships and poor health. And Don't we long to rewrite the story in a kingdom way? Through the restoration, we'd love to see something of this community restored, long to tackle some of the detrimental effects of child poverty and breathe life not just into this area but use it as a springboard much further. And would it be that we would give as the Lord prompts us in accordance to the resources that he's blessed us with? We want to be people that give sacrificially but we want to be people that give freely. We serve a radically generous God who calls us to be generous people as an act of worship, not as an act of obligation or guilt, but out of the natural overflow 
of our heart, not everyone will understand that or get that. But I'd say to you, come before the Lord and seek his heart. The final thing, do what you can. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing? You will always have the poor among you. And you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. I love that phrase. She has done what she could. Do what you can. This was a unique act in quite a special occasion. An anointing that anticipated Jesus' burial. And it's a public declaration of faith that he is the Messiah. Jesus wasn't for a minute saying neglect the poor, nor was he in any way justifying indifference to them. Jesus was affirming Mary's unselfish act of worship. The essence of worship is, is, is giving to Jesus, giving to him, giving him regard, the utmost love and respect and devotion, as well as being willing to sacrifice to him what is most precious to us. Jesus' purposes in these words was, was to explain that that opportunity to show devotion to him and to anoint him with the oil in preparation for his burial would soon pass. The phrase, we, you will not always have me, meant that Jesus would soon be gone from them physically. However, they could show kindness to the poor and opportunities to do so would continue until the end of time. There would always be the poor. There would always be the needy. Jesus brought to mind Deuteronomy 15.11 says, the poor will never cease from the land. The statement he makes does in no way justify ignoring the needs of the poor. The Bible continually calls us to care for the poor and the needy. The passage in Deuteronomy goes on, therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wider to your brother, to your poor and needy in your land. By saying this, Jesus is really just highlighting the, the special sacrifice that Mary has made to him and before him. You know, as followers of Jesus, I believe we have significant social responsibility to the poor. But in all, in all of our efforts to serve this city, to feed the hungry, to assist in seeking to eradicate child poverty in this area, we must not miss or neglect the priority of worship. Where are our hearts? You know, a hundred bowls of rice or whatever it might be given to refugees wouldn't cover for an empty heart for God. A thousand inoculations for some kind of disease or whatever it might be wouldn't provide peace to a soul that is resisting God. Worship of God precedes all acts of love and gives them meaning and gives them purpose. I want to encourage us in this season, in all seasons, open your heart to God. God will make any sacrifice you may, might make a pure joy, a pure joy, an overflow of joy, not an obligation, but a joy. She's given what she could. Mary takes the initiative. She does this act of devotion that nobody else would. She gave her resources in a way that only she could. Some people only talk about what they can do or what they wish they could have done or would have done, but Mary did what she felt led to do and she did it. 
I want to encourage you to do what only you can do. Not just with this whole thing we're talking about, but in your relationship with God. We just have to do what we can do and leave the rest to the Lord. This building is really an opportunity to serve the city. Sometimes the impact of what we do in faith goes way beyond anything we realize or can even envisage. Take this whole child poverty thing. It's like, really? Can we really make a difference? We've just got to do what we can do and leave the rest to the Lord. Let me just finish by sharing a couple of stories. We're, we're in, a, we're in a, um, a season of sowing kingdom seeds and hoping and praying and believing that the Lord will multiply it. We just have to step out and keep our eyes focused on Jesus and leave him to do the rest. I mentioned in the vision talk that we've sought to partner with key decision makers and gatekeepers in this city, helping to strategically, strategically shape policies and um, decisions that will create a lasting impact among the lost and the least. And we've worked with Greater Manchester Citizens and some of you have become part of their leadership team in doing that. That is so important because we want to see one life shaped at a time in this city. So first story is this. This last week, the University of Manchester, one of the largest employees in this region, has started paying workers a living wage. Many of you have sowed seeds into seeing that happen and lobbied for that and stood alongside others in trying to see that happen. The second story is I was chatting with a friend of ours this week who leads a vineyard church in Kenya. And Steph and I were exploring um, how we might partner with him here as a church, what that might look like for, for you and for us with him to, to work together and then trying to see if he might be able to come over in Manchester to be um, in November to Manchester and also be part of Cause to Live For. You know, as a church, we've got to do all that we can, be radically generous, giving away way beyond ourselves. Anyway, little did I know we'd already been a huge blessing to him. He had a dream in his heart that he was going to take to the church that he just believed the Lord was stirring for them in a, in a huge step of faith. And that happened to be on the, on the vision day that we were doing here together as a church. And he was wondering, do I have faith for this? Is this too big an ask? Is this too big a stretch? Anyway, then he watched the vision talk and he said, hang on a minute. This is virtually the same story. Even the giving away a large percentage of what comes in, they're like, I wonder if we're to give this away. He's like, different location, different people, but same story. In fact, maybe this is less our story and more actually just the story of God and we're just partnering with him in what he's doing. But it stirred faith in him and, and they're stepping out. And I, I believe that the story God is writing among us and on our hearts isn't just for us, but it ripples out and multiplies beyond anything we even realize and he said to me Paul you know I came to the conclusion that if I multiply leaders and if I give away all that we have if we're generous and everything falls flat if it all closes down and comes to an end then that's okay because we are just doing what we believe the Lord has called us to do and I love that because I'd say that's our story we give what we can we do all that we can for Christ his church and his cause. That's all we're called to do. That's all we can do. The rest is on him. The final story I want to share with you is 
The youth work in this church is, is in many ways in its earliest days. We're doing all we can, but it's in its earliest days. We're only a few years into a very young church plant, and it's actually very hard to establish youth work, particularly that age group in a, in a plant. But the, the fruit of it already, I'd say, is actually really quite exciting. Some of the stories and the impact and transformation that's flowing out of that age group is, is a wonderful thing to hear. Now, I'm delighted that at the end of, um, sorry, that currently once a month the youth meet during when we have this time together on a Sunday, and in April they're going to double that. It's a sign of growth and momentum and teams growing as well. But as you know, we intend to give 15% of everything that comes in next week to things beyond ourselves that don't directly benefit ourselves as a church. You could say this whole building thing is that. It isn't for us, it's for the city, but in some ways we will benefit. It will definitely help us, but we want to give away beyond ourselves. And um, one of the things, if you've read it, that we specifically mentioned in the booklet was giving a portion away to the Vineyard Movement in their unfolding plans to reach the youth of this nation through Dreaming the Impossible and other initiatives that they're working on, as well as us as a church giving time and energy we also intend to give financially out of some of what comes in next week to that. We'd just love to show you a really, I say brief, I don't think it is that brief, but we'd love to show you a little video that will just share some of what they're doing and, and why we might feel led to give money to it. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Thank you.